to stop meeting like this. Wasn't I up here just a few weeks ago? This is way more than once a year. The staff asked if I could step in on short notice, uh, so here I am. My name's uh, Wayne Elderton. I'm uh, on the, uh, the board of, I was on the elders and the leadership team and all the other different team names that we've had, been the chair for a while, um, and now just a member of the board. And uh, as I said to them, it's, it's like Uber Eats, so you can phone and a preacher can come uh, at short notice, and uh, so that's good. So we're going to be looking at a number of verses from the passage that was just read for us uh, by Raywin, and uh, I'm just going to do a public service announcement for this. So it's, typical, it's typically helpful to actually have your Bible with you to follow along during many of the sermons that we have here at Granville. Uh, and if you don't want to carry an extra book to church, I would recommend bringing uh, the app on your phone. So Bible Gateway is available uh, on the Apple Store and Google Play for free. Uh, it has great features uh, like multiple versions that you can look at, bookmarking, audio options, all, all, mo- all, all sorts of things. Feel free to download it actually right now. If you want to download it right now while I'm talking, that's okay too. You know, I've talked to the occasional traditionalist who says, you know, that's not a real Bible. Uh, and I kind of point out to them that if you stay consistent with your logic, you should be bringing your scrolls here. These young people with their newfangled technology, like printing presses, stuff like that. So anyhow, you have full permission to go fully digital. It is real, the Word of God. Besides, if you get the app on your phone, and if you don't like the sermon, you can play Candy Crush, and everyone just thinks you're pouring over the scriptures. So... It, it does double, double duty. This message is entitled, Recovering Church Post-Pandemic. So does the title mean that the church is recovering after all the lockdowns and such? Or does it mean how do we recover being church? And the diplomatic answer is yes. It means all of those things. covid took its toll on the greater church as a whole, and to us as well. And add to that our loss of our lead pastor, Andy, and what emerged was a church only half to two-thirds the size, with challenged resources, staff, and volunteers. Many people had an extended break from church. And for some of them, the habit of going to church just completely evaporated. So now that the doors are more or less open again, why come? Because people had to reflect on questions like, why go to church anyway? And the more important question, what is church? And what exactly does it mean to me? They're all good questions. But the question that I want to explore today will zero in on one answer to the question, what will my connection to Granville be going forward? And in this context, I'm defining Granville not as the building, but the body of believers that meets here. This message is about the Granville community. The dictionary defines community as a unified body of interacting individuals. Hopefully you caught the idea 
as our focal passage was read, that it is all about community. Sometimes we can read the Bible so much from an individual perspective that we miss what it actually says about our connection to each other. We all have a story. The life of a human being is actually all about their story. Philosopher Alistair McIntyre argues that our identity and our story are synonymous. But he goes on to say that the story of my life is always embedded in the story of those communities from which my identity is drawn. It's a ponderable, I'll read it again. The story of all my life is always embedded in the story of those communities from which my identity is drawn. And when it comes to these communal and individual stories, our perspective is everything. Sometimes when you look at something from another angle, you get a perspective that can give you a whole new appreciation of the subject. I remember a particular lesson that I learned about perspective that happened many, many years ago. I was out to dinner with my wife, and the restaurant wasn't very big, so you could kind of see everything and hear everything going on. And it was one of those restaurants that have the, the tanks of lobster, live lobster and fish, so you can see how fresh everything is. A lady was giving the waiter a hard time because she was kind of being picky. She wanted him to bring the fish to her table so she could approve it. He brought the fish, which looked perfectly fine to me, but unfortunately it kind of twitched a little bit too much when it was in front of the lady, so she promptly rejected it and she asked him to bring another one. And the waiter brought it back to the kitchen, still kind of twitching every once in a while. He came back to the table with a fish, and this time the lady happily accepted it. From her perspective, she got the fish she wanted. But my wife and I had a different perspective. From where we were sitting, you could see kind of into the kitchen. However, the lady from her angle kind of couldn't. So the waiter went into the kitchen, took the fish, and kind of was smiling at the lady. lady, he smacked it against the wall a couple of times and put it back on the plate, and then he brought her her new fish, which she was totally happy with. The point is, it's not about going to restaurants, okay, that's not the point. The point is, if our perspective about this passage is viewed through our culture's typical lens of individualism, we miss the point entirely. The passage is about spiritual gifts and how our story is embedded into the story of this community, which can shape our identity in positive ways. The word translated gifts in this passage is the Greek word charisma. Over the years in English, it's come to mean actually the effect that a person has on others, personal magnetism, the ability to influence, but that wasn't the original meaning. In Bible terms, charisma means an expression of grace. And grace, in biblical terms, is something that you receive that you don't earn or even deserve. Even in this passage, the word is connected to synonyms like serving and working. The challenge when studying about spiritual gifts, though, is that the Bible says a lot about them, but it actually doesn't say a lot about them. So let's look at what the Bible says, or doesn't say, about spiritual gifts. 
There are a number of passages that talk about spiritual gifts, and this is just the main one. The challenge is all the passages that talk about spiritual gifts are not for the purpose of explaining the gifts. The passages are talking about bigger issues, and what is mentioned about the gifts is kind of a sidebar. For example, in our passage, the Apostle Paul, who wrote to the Corinthians, is actually answering questions the Corinthians had about different things. The problem is, we have his answers, but we don't have the questions. And the best we can do is make educated guesses. This chapter is part of a larger discussion about how the Corinthians needed to relate to each other and to Christ while living in a decidedly ungodly society. Can you relate? We can learn about spiritual gifts by first, first understanding three things about what the Bible doesn't say about them. So let's let, look at some of the things that we don't know. Number one, there's no exhaustive or definitive list of gifts. Different gifts are listed in various passages. There are plenty of places that seem to indicate the effect of the gift with not necessarily mentioning the gift. For example, in the Old Testament, we actually have plenty of mention of music and musicians who are supernaturally enhanced by God. Is there a gift of music not mentioned in the New Testament? It's very safe to assume that there are more gifts than are specifically listed. Number two, we can only speculate as to the characteristics of each one. The majority of the gifts that are mentioned are named, but they're not explained. Now, be warned that there's plenty of teaching in the Christian community about gifts, and you can find books telling you the detail about each gift and how it's applied. The problem is, it's all circumstantial evidence. Don't get caught up in these gift dictionaries too much. How they work in a Christian's life is actually not explained at all. The Bible is silent on big questions like, do you get a gift or gifts for life? Or do you get others along the way? Do they change based on your situation? Can they be improved with practice? Or do they rust with inactivity? Now, that's what gifts aren't, but here is some of the elements about what gifts are. So they're all different, but they have the same power source. Verse 4 to 7 in our passage says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And as I go through this, you'll see that's why it's handy if you have your Bible with you to follow along. Everyone has at least one. Verse 6 says, in everyone. And verse 7, it's pretty clear when it claims, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. God chooses which ones and who gets what. You don't get to pick. It's evident from the passages but to hammer the point home, in, later in verse 11, he says, all these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Their purpose is to supernaturally and mysteriously combine us 
as a community that's unified by its diversity to minister to the people of God. Now that's a mouthful again, think about that one. Their purpose is to supernaturally and mysteriously combine us as a community that's unified by its diversity to minister to the people of God. Verse seven directs the application of these gifts as given for the common good. A gift is seen by its effect of moving a community towards Jesus. All gifts point in the same direction. So now that we have a picture of what the gifts are about, what about our communal story? I mentioned at the start, the fact is you are needed. Regardless of your situation, you have significance to Granville Chapel. You've been given the ability to positively impact this community. Verses 12 to 20 is the Apostle Paul's way of disarming a number of possible excuses and barriers that we have that prevent us from having the impact that we're actually designed for. He uses the familiar illustration of a body, which is a play on words since the church is actually known as the body of Christ. The biggest barrier is the human nature to gather in homogeneous groupings. We're most comfortable with people who are like us. Human history is rampant with people forming walls and boundaries and even attacking anyone who is other. But that's not the way of the kingdom of God. I mean, look around you. These people are different. You're really different. <laughs> when I first became a Christian at 19, my thoughts about the people in the church that I attended were simple. These are not my kind of people. I never had to regularly gather with such a, a broad range before. The church was a foreign land to me. Of course, it didn't help that the way had God had arranged it was that I was actually the only white person in a full Chinese church. To top it off, none of them even played tennis. For those of you who don't know me, my day job is a tennis coach. Fortunately, I dove in and I served in all sorts of capacities. Some things worked, some things didn't fit. Through it all, I came to respect and appreciate the fact that we had a connection that spanned many differences, that spanned any differences, ethnic or otherwise. It was just like verse 12 to 14 says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Just a side note that the baptism they're talking about there isn't water baptism as much as the baptism about that spiritual act where God includes you into the body of Christ when you become a Christian. Even though it was a church with a different ethnicity than mine, we were all one in Jesus. And my participation made me part of them. Your differentness to others is part of the plan to be one. Like the combinations of colored thread in a tapestry, 
It's the differences that make it beautiful. Another barrier is our misinterpretation of worth. Especially as a new Christian, it's easy to apply the world's standards to the church. It's about who's the greatest, who's the best, the most talented, who has it together, who looks sharp, smells good, speaks well. Unfortunately, the church empowers this perspective a little too often. I love the message that Pastor Andy spread right from the beginning of his ministry here. We are all broken people. Despite what you see on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok, having it all together is a myth. We're all in various struggles and pain. If you're not, just wait. It'll come. This is the reality that the Bible paints. Not the hallmark version of Christianity where everything is nice. In verse 15, 16, it says, Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I did not belong to the body, it would not for that reason start being, being, stop being part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. Sometimes we internally rank our worth in comparison to others. Well, they have better positions or bigger positions. They're more important to the church. But in a body, the ranking is useless. Have you ever fallen for the trap of comparison? Paul milks the analogy even more and actually adds a little humor. For people who says that, say that there's no humor in the Bible, you haven't read it. There's really a lot of funny stuff in there. What if we were all the person we were comparing ourselves to? If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Verse 19 sums it up with, if they were all one part, where would the body be? How useful would a body be if you were just a big eyeball rolling around? What if... This was coffee time at Granville. Preaching may look glamorous. Hey, come on, it's funny, people. I mean, what are you, at church or something? What's the, what's the deal? <laughs> if everyone were just an ear, I mean, yeah. Preaching may look glamorous, but everyone if they all just preach to each other, that would be kind of sad. We all gather together and everyone's just preaching to each other. That, that kind of doesn't work. Your differences are, are the very thing that will make an impact on others. They're, what's make, they're, they're actually what makes you significant. And your story and your identity emerges from that interaction. Church is way more important than you think. Just come and be available. God will slot you in accordingly. You don't need to pick your position. Verse 18 says, But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. I remember a church that I was in in the past, and there was a person who claimed he had the gift of prophecy what he meant by that is he would go around with God's righteous anger, pointing out what people were not doing and not living up to God's standard. 
And they always had bony fingers for some reason. I don't know why. As a body part, I think he was an appendix. No one knows what they do, but when they explode, they'll kill you. Kidding aside, I, I think we have to have more faith in God's ability to lead than our ability to mess up. Just get in there. Back to our original question and perspective. What will my connection to Granville be going forward? We all have been given one or more spiritual gifts. However, your perspective is important. Understand that there's a bigger picture going on. It's not about my own individual wants. God is putting together a functioning living body and regardless of your personal circumstances, Granville Chapel needs you. My last point is there's traditionally two ways people find your gifts. So one is you go and find your gift. And the second is your gift finds you. In the you find your gift tradition, you take spiritual gift classes, you learn about them, and they slot yourself in accordingly. Uh, as helpful as that is, I've seen enough challenges with that approach that I, I actually personally now lean totally towards number two, your gift finds you. In this process, just start serving anywhere, everywhere you can. Listen for God's leading. And sooner than later, the people that you impact will let you know what gift you have. We're going to have a chance to put this into practice this morning. The ushers provided you with a handout, hopefully, that has two little tearaway parts at the bottom. You don't have to use both, but feel free to. Your task is, as the Lord leads, recognize somebody, write their name in there, that has impacted you for Christ. If they're here, fill it out, tear it off, and hand it to them this morning. There's some pens on the brickwork and in the foyer if you want. If they're not here, Maybe use the note just to remind yourself to connect with them this week. And if they haven't been attending since COVID, maybe encourage them to do so. My only rule is that nobody's allowed to give me one. Now, some of you, some of you won't get one today, but don't feel bad because I didn't get one either. Let's recover church by renewing our connections to each other and recapture our collective story that is Granville Chapel by sharing the gifts God gave us to minister to each other. And to those online, if you're able, come back and join the party. Let's pray. Lord, we are all in your big story. Renew your church. Renew us. Granville is yours. To the glory of your name, amen.